Welcome to the Fit Archer Podcast, my friends. I'm your host, J.P. Penscover, on episode 22. I have a great conversation with my friend Tom Herman from Wisconsin, and I believe he is a quiet, killing professional. Tom is not a guy that looks for notoriety. He's not, uh, he's not loud all over Instagram or Facebook, but he just gets it done every single year with a bow in his hand. He's a killing machine. He's a great guy. I've known Tom for a long time. He's a world-class competitive shooter, and he's a world-class bow hunter. And so we have a we have a couple-hour conversation on hunting all over from his Alaska hunt where he tagged out on a giant moose and a, and a, and a great doll, doll sheep, his big old drop-tine whitetail he shot in Wisconsin at the area where, where I first met him, and, and everything in between. Talk a little bit about archery and shooting and accuracy and steadiness and everything in between. If you're an outdoorsman or woman, you're going to love this episode. You're going to love Tom. Just, again, a quiet, killing professional. So I want to say thanks to Tom for jumping on for a couple hours. Thanks to Patrick, my buddy over at Numa Productions. You can check him out at numaproductions.net. Not only does he provide the best podcast gear, editing, and everything you need for podcasting, but he's also getting into videoing. So if you have any questions there, make sure you reach out to him. So uh, episode 22 has been incredible. Can't believe we're already 22 episodes in. And if you would give us a review, share this with your friends and family, and uh, let us know if you're liking it. If you're not liking it, if you're not liking it, let us know. But let us know who else you want to hear from, what you want to hear from, and all those things. God bless you. God bless our country. You are listening to the Fit Archer Podcast. All hunting, all fitness, all the time. And we are live with Tom Herman. What's up, buddy? Not too darn much, JP. Looking good as always. Well, tan, maybe. That's about (laughs) all I got going for me right now. Tan, and I think maybe my gray highlights bring out how much tanner I am. Wondering if you got that, just tip that out yeah, a little bit. I did. God did Pretty that for special. me. <laughs> it uh, nice. every time it just keeps getting worse, and if I don't have anything in my hair, like any kind of product, so to speak, yep. my hair like shines. It used to be when I go get a haircut, um, you know, they cut all the gray off, all the tips would be a little bit gray, yep. and I'd be like, oh, my hair's a little bit darker again. Now I go and I look down, I'm like, all the hair you cut off is gray, and my mm-hmm. hair on my head is more gray. Right. I don't know what to do, but this is, I, I can't do anything about it. Yeah. My wife, I I'll told tell you her. What, I, I wish I looked, I wish I looked as good as you did at that age. We'll see. <laughs> there you go. Hey, I, I'll never forget this. Um, when my dad was 40, <clears throat> I can't remember. I'm assuming he was around 40 because I found a picture of him when he was 19 and my yep. brother showed it to me and it was my dad with my shirt, his shirt off. And I looked at him like, dang dad, you were ripped. And I, then I'm like, what happened? Because <laughs> you know, he wasn't ripped anymore. And he's like, oh, right. son, you wait till you have a kids and a job and you got to work and you know, put food on the table. And I, I vowed, I said, dad, at 40 years old, I'm going to be in shape. I want to be in yep. shape. So that's always been my driving force of he doesn't care. He doesn't remember it. He doesn't remember you saying that and doesn't really matter anyway. But, you know, right. as being in shape, I mean, all the hunting you do and everything you do, you got children. It, it just makes life a little bit easier. Oh, no question. And to be honest, I've always said that I want to be there to be able to beat my kids. You know, I'm competitive. So if we're running or swimming or doing something, I don't want them to win. You know, I always tell the girls, I was like, it's going to be a long time yet before you're going to be able to beat me. 
Well, they're young yet too, so. They're young. And I said yeah. that I'm competitive with you, Tom. My son is 15 and he's fast and yep. he beats me in most races. He, he'll, he'll come in here and he'll jump and he'll touch the ceiling way up, spring up. And he's like, you do that, dad? And I'm like, yeah, but I need about a 15 minute warm up, buddy. Right. <laughs> Just a jump. So I was really hoping it would be till about 18 years old, I'd be able to hold him off. And we did a sprinting workout on a Saturday about two months ago. And it was, you run 200 yards out. We did like four 200. So you run 200 as fast as you can, jog back. And and you had like three minutes, you know, to run the 200, jog back, and then do another one. And then it was a, a, a 200 and then a 100. So on the 200, we had to sprint 100 yards. I'm like, okay, buddy, here we go. Let's line it up. And so, you know, we got a, a Tabata clock going. So beep, 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 and we took off. And I'm flying. I mean, I'm, I'm out of the gate as fast as I can. I'm running. I'm at, like, top speed. And he just effortlessly pulled past me. It was kind of like one of those, uh, who's that famous sprinter? Um, Usain Bolt. Yeah. When he yeah. would run and he just kind of looked. He was just running past me, just kind of looking at me. I'm like, oh, the only thing I had going for me was my endurance is a little better. So on the next three 100s, I could beat him. But that one, he just wanted to. And I'm like, at 15 years old, I got beat. I'm like, I thought I could hold him out a little longer. But so your time is coming, buddy. Take advantage of it while you can. Yeah, Yeah. for sure. I try. You can tell already. Like, we, I run. I don't run a ton because I don't want to hurt my knees and whatnot. But I'll run at least two times a week, two to three usually. And I used to have the perfect pacer. My middle daughter could be on a bike. And she was just at the perfect pace I was. We can cruise, and it didn't matter how far we went, five, seven, eight miles, whatever. She keeps up. Pace is perfect. And if she wouldn't pace with me, she'd try to go with her older sister. She would totally burn out. And then she was whining the whole time and couldn't do it. So it worked out perfect for me. But now she's a year older, and now she's with her sister. And now I'm at the back. And it's very hard for me being a competitive person. I see them far away and then I try to, you know, keep the pace up or get yeah. faster. I just burn out quicker. Yeah, wow, man. Yeah. And you're still young. Well, let's, let's, let's yeah. introduce the listeners to you. You know what I'm titling this? I've been thinking about it all week when I reached out to you and said, hey, could you jump on the podcast? The Quiet Professional. <laughs> or maybe I'll just do the Quiet Killing Professional. I don't know because you just... You're, you're a laid back guy and you're a very humble guy, yeah. but you're an incredible hunter and you always have been since I've known you. And I, that's been, we've known each other for quite a long time now. And I, I just want to, yeah. I want the listeners to know who you are. Um, you know, what, how you grew up, where you grew up, when did you get into hunting? How did you get into hunting? Those kind of things. So just kind of take us back yeah. when Tommy Herman was just a young boy somewhere. Yeah, I appreciate that. So I grew up in a small town in Cleveland or in Wisconsin, Cleveland. Um, just a little farm community, whatnot. My dad, I was hunted. So of course I was going to hunt and quite honestly, cocky little kid growing up. So, uh, I shot my bow as much as I thought I needed to. And I was involved in a bunch of other sports and I got humbled pretty bad when I first started shooting. So, um, I shoot. Okay. But then on an animal, I hate to say this, I probably shouldn't on a podcast, but I wounded a, a few of them getting out of the gate like, and this isn't good to say, but I, I hit them and I just couldn't, couldn't recover them. And quite honestly, I didn't know a whole lot either. And neither did my father about tuning and a lot of those type of things. And at that stage of the game, it was still fingers and whatnot. 
but it was really the driving force in making me what I am today. So going back, um, I got so frustrated. I mean, to tears, you know, a 12 year old kid, I can still remember opening day. I, I told my mom, we drove up North. My dad was already up there. And I said, I'm going to shoot a six pointer in velvet, you know, like Northwoods, Wisconsin. Right. So small deer, like it's nothing. Um, but that's what I was pumped for. And wouldn't, you know, first deer that came in that morning, it was in a six pointer, but it was a three pointer and I was going to shoot it, you know, and I ended up hitting this thing. hate to say it right in the shoulder. We trailed that thing forever. Couldn't find it. And I really thought I smoked it and it was done and this was easy. And I was, you know, a professional, but far from it. And then fast forward, just got into archery and competition and just to be a better bow hunter and shooting a lot and kind of started chasing stuff. And I always wanted to like fast forwarding a number of years, I was really into competitions and I was kind of, you know, watch the hunting stuff was all coming out on the outdoor networks. And I always wanted to do that film, which you knew. Um, uh, and then kind of got involved, met a few people and started filming a little bit. Um, kind of got me an opportunity to get out west and to um, get a few different places besides just Midwest whitetails. And I guess that was the start of the passion, really. You know, do, do you think, um, let me ask you this quick and then I'm going to go back to your story, kind of how we met and, and things yeah. like that. Do you think getting into competition archery is, would you recommend that for people? I mean, would you recommend to be a better archer to get into some kind of competition? Yeah, I think. I think it does a ton of things for you, to be honest. For me, I never, I always had buck fever, which everyone does. I don't care what you say. You always had buck fever. But um, when I first got into competitions, it's kind of a two-way thing. So when I first got into it, I was really pretty good. And I could aim solid. And I was shooting pretty decent. But I didn't know anything. I didn't know how to tune. I didn't really know how to shoot. And when I started getting involved with people who knew how to shoot and would question things about what I was doing or why I was doing them, it really got into my head and I got target panic insane. And just understanding what target panic is and kind of learning how to fix it. I, this was way before, you know, resistance releases and all the free knowledge that's out there. Um, I just fixed it myself and, um, doing that and then just being immersed into the target scene and being able to meet people and learn new ways to tune bows. It just makes life so much simpler on the hunting end. You know, you don't need to be quite as accurate on the hunting end and some people might take that wrong, but you're not shooting for, you know, 12s or X's. Um, you have a bigger margin for error um, just because the vitals are bigger than, bigger than what your average target is. So that was really great. And then just the pressure. Just being out there competing with people, putting pressure on yourself, um, it's very easy to sit in your backyard and stack arrows. You know, it's totally different, even when there's just one person next to you. Um, so just that aspect of it, the target archery game is, you know, just puts you on a different level, I think. You know Randy Ulmer. Well, you probably, you maybe do, yeah. you, you know him. I mean, you know of him. I don't. I have one of his pictures in my little archery room where I have all my presses and arrow saws. And, oh, that's yeah, awesome. Yeah, he's a legend, the goat right yeah. there, especially when it comes to mule deer. He was on, well, elk too, you ought to see his. So the yeah. archery shop just a few miles from my house, Arizona Archery Club, the yep. great archery shop here, has all of his animals hanging that he, apparently he can't fit somewhere else. And you just walk in, you're like, <laughs> 
look at these animals. The guy does it every year, but he was on a podcast uh, and I was listening to him. And of course, anytime you get a chance to listen to somebody like that, you take every advantage. I went to the Pope and Young Club and got to listen to him speak. And he was talking about competition. And he said, the only thing that you can do to mimic buck fever, so to speak, the adrenaline rush of losing all your fine motor skills when an animal's coming in is to put yourself in those high-pressure situations at a practice time. Just like you said, it's easy to sit back in your backyard when you know, you just, you're grilling some burgers and just stacking arrows or shooting and do whatever. But it's a whole different ball game when you and four or five buddies are shooting a 3D course or you're in front of a group of people shooting at some spot targets and stuff like that. So that's why I said that. I think I don't, we, I don't shoot competition, but I've often thought about, man, why don't I do it? Because I yeah. think it's just going to help my whole life a lot better because you handle pressure on yourself so much better. I did the podcast with Ray Howell, you know, a couple of them. Yeah. And, and you know Ray, and he talked about cutting ribbons when he would open up the Gander Mountains. Yeah. He's like, you think you got pressure. You got to hit a one-inch piece of tape with 600 people standing around you with your first arrow, and none of them want you to hit it. They want you to miss. He goes, you want right. to talk about pressure? I'm like, I'd listen to it. My palms are just sweating when I listen to it. <laughs> no doubt. And one of the things, too, that I would say with that that helped me was – it was always easier for me to aim at a 3D target just because there's no spot and it's just more comfortable. Um, just aiming at a spot target, like a dot, be it you know a field round or whatever it is, I think is more nerving. Just because it's a it's a target, it's an area you can't you know like for example a 3D. Nowadays everything's pretty much known yardage, so it's more of a spot shoot, but. Back in the day, it was unknown yardage, so you could potentially range or you know guesstimate your yardage, and you were off low. But then you make a weak shot and end up hitting in the right spot. And is that good? Is that you know I don't know. So it was like going to shooting some spots uh, really seemed to help me. Just a different attitude, different atmosphere, because it's all on you. Like there's no luck, you know. There's no luck. Like you're just aiming at one dot. You know exactly where the dot is. It's the same every time. Like indoor competitions as well. It's just so mental. You know, and you get that mental edge, I think, that translates to hunting for most people anyways. Do you think, um, and I've I've been learning this over the years, you know, pin float, being okay with my pin floating a little bit, which I never was okay with before. I I was always thinking I needed to be so rock solid when I would shoot. Do you yep. think going from a spot target to a 3D target is a little bit, you know, some people shoot a little bit better at a 3D target than a spot because there's not such a small spot and they're, they're okay with a little bit more pin float that they can't necessarily see as they could yep. on a little, uh, on, on an X target, you know, at 20 yards? Yeah, there's not a defined zone, you know, like you're just shooting a blank thing. So it's, and the, there's not, I mean, there's, you know, little shadows or something you're aiming at or you're picking your spot, right? But it's not as defined. And I think that's the the big thing. Cause I notice that even um, shooting targets, a lot of times I'm using like a lens, right? A four power lens with a smaller dot. Going from that to a hunting site. And, you know, I shoot 19,000 pins. Going to those, like I notice it right away. That they just seem to sit there. You know, if I've been shooting my target bow for a while and then grab my hunting bow, it doesn't move. It's, it, it seems like it doesn't move. You know what I mean? Just because you're used to watching all that movement with the scope. With the magnification. Yes. Yeah. Correct. When I got into uh, long range rifle shooting, 
they were talking about um, magnification on scopes, and so I bought this long range rifle, long range rifle book. I can't remember what it was, but a whole package on how to be a better long range shooter. And he said, he goes, don't think that magnification is going to make you a better shooter. All it does is magnifies your mistakes a little bit better. So that makes sense to me when you say you're seeing that four power and then all of a sudden you get away from it with your 19th um, hunter's pin and it's sitting on a big, bigger spot with no defines. You know, it looks like it's just late locked in there. Yep. That's pretty cool. And I'm used to shaking because it uh, was after you left town. But, I mean, I had an arrow go through my hand. You know, like I'm I'm the guy in the picture. Um, really? I think I remember it, that. Yeah. It was at lacrosse arch. I was done with my tag for the year. I, well, I had, I was done with my Wisconsin deer and it was like after work, I just went shooting. And one of the guys who actually worked at the shop was in there and they were just shooting arrows and I had my target bow and I was shooting spots and the guy's like, Hey, can I shoot your bow? And I was like, yeah, for sure. But let me shoot yours. And I'll never forget JP. I literally grabbed his bow, drew back, his draw length was longer than mine. His peep height was way too high for me. And I'm sitting at full draw, like, why am I going to shoot this? I'm shooting so well right now. Why, why even shoot the shot? And then I'm like, ah, oh, just do it. And I shot, and his arrow broke into three pieces, and the last piece smoked me. I don't know if you can see it, but a little hole right Raise your there. hand up a little bit more. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. How did that feel? So there's a little hole right there. Uh, not so good. Uh, <laughs> So yeah, when that happened, it was actually fine. I, I went to the hospital the whole night. It was good, but they didn't do surgery on it. Like I was in there and I'm like, Hey, are you going to do surgery? And they're like, no, we're getting it all. They just did like saline solution. And, uh, like three months later, um, I started having some nerve issues where there were pieces of carbon in there that were trying to work their way out and they would tap a nerve and instantly I'd like drop whatever was in my hand or whatnot. And then when I went to have the surgery to get rid of that, um, did some, some nerve damage in my hand. Every, if I draw a right-handed bow at 30 pounds, whatever, it doesn't matter. It literally just shakes. I mean, like, like that, like it will literally just sit there and quiver. And I shot like that for a while. I actually shot a 60 X game like that. Um, but now that I'm, you know, married kids, um, a job that requires a little bit more of me. Like I don't shoot near as much and I can't do it. So I actually switched to left-handed. I shoot self, I shoot a self-ball bow now. You do? Yep. So like a recurve or a long bow, I'll still shoot right-handed because I wiggle no matter what with that. But with, for a compound stuff, yeah, I switched to lefty. And you're so still have, stacking them in there at 70 yards like you posted on Facebook the other day? <laughs> Tom, yeah. Tom, you make me mad. I'll tell you. <laughs> it was actually a pretty flawless transition. Um, I borrowed a guy's bow. And then what I had to do is just sell everything. I literally sold everything I had that was right-handed and just jumped in with both feet and bought a left-handed bow and said, I'm going to do this. And it took a little bit. Like the muscle memory was the hardest thing, you know. And for me, like getting a an anchor that I liked on my face and everything, everything was a little bit of a challenge, but within that first year, my spot scores came around to close to what I was shooting before. And then outdoor, I shot a field, a field tournament or whatever. And I was actually right at, I actually shot my highest score. So, wow. Um, pretty so much back to my what about, what about vision wise? What did, how are you right? eye dominant? I'm right. eye dominant. So I have to shut an eye and 
it's weird as I progress. It's been like three years now, I think, or I'm going on my third year of shooting left-handed and it can almost just squeak my right eye open a little bit before it starts to kind of mess with me because I'd love to shoot both eyes open. You know, it's just, it's way better just to have the peripheral and everything else, but I just can't do it. Not fully, not the way I used to, but your left eye is getting stronger. My left eye. And actually what's weird is my left eye was better. It has better vision in my left eye. It just wasn't my dominant eye. So it's it meant to be, <laughs> yeah, meant to be huh? just to, you know, that first, I'll never forget the first animal I drew back on lefty. I drew back, got into my anchor point and I couldn't see anything because I had my right eye open. Oh, wow. And, I was, and I'm like, Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. I freaked out. And then I'm like, okay, shut your right eye. Oh, there it is. <laughs> but it's, it's the things you don't think about, you know, like I love out West spot stock hunting. And so now when I go on a stalk, I constantly have to think about my feet, you know, because for so many years I did right-handed and you know how you want your feet positioned in case that deer would get up or move or and a shot presents itself fast. And now being left-handed, the whole time in on my stalk, I'm, I'm constantly thinking about how I need my feet to be. And it's starting to get a little bit better um, as the years progress, but you know, it's, it's just practice with that stuff and you never get enough practice, especially being still living in Wisconsin. I mean, I'm out West, you know, two weeks a year. Yeah. Boy, that's, that's a lot to think about. I mean, it teaches, it just tells us and and reminds us how wired our brain can get, how wired our body can get. I had a friend of mine tell me one time, he's the most phenomenal athlete I've ever met, ran the Olympic trials. He's just a freak, does everything unbelievable at the highest level. He said, you want to be the best athlete you can be? He goes, every morning, wake up and brush your teeth with your left hand. Don't, if you're right-handed, brush your teeth with your left hand. He goes, you got to train your nervous system how to yep. be able to adapt. And, and, you know, and I'm like, oh, okay. I tried to remember the first time I'm stuck in the toothbrush up my nose, and it's, uh, it was a disaster. I'm like, I don't, want to, I don't need to compete anymore. You know one thing I've noticed, Tom? I have a really, really bad left eye. So I'm right eye dominant, thankfully. But my left eye, yep. I, have a, I have a disease in my eyes, which I did a procedure that was supposed to slow it down. It worked on my right eye. My left eye is not working so well on. So we'll see what happens um, before anything would have to happen with my corneas. But when I get past about 50 yards, I always shoot both eyes open. I always have, and I, and I love it. <clears throat> what I've noticed is once I get past 50, the, you know, it's so blurry out of my left eye. Like I close, I can't see anything. I can read perfect here, and I close my right eye. I can't really read anything out there. So when I'm shooting, things get blurred. Even though I'm right eye dominant, things are a little bit blurry. So if I start to shut this eye, for yeah. a while I was shooting better because I was able to be a little bit crisper with my sight. Yeah. But I found that by doing that, I'm tensing up. And anything, you know this, as a, as a, oh, yeah. the, the kind of shooter that you are, you're w- way better, different world than I'm in. But any kind of muscle tension when you're doing it adds to a little bit more. And I started realizing, I'm like, why am I shooting so bad once I get out here? When normally I could shoot that pretty good. And it was when I started to close my eye, I was doing it and I'm, uh, I was more tension that was causing, you know, just some, some bad habits. So I had to go back to just opening up my eye and, and really trying to focus more with my right eye as best I can. It's kind of wild that again, it goes back to the gray hair and age. So <laughs> think, things change, man. Things, yep. things change. No question. It does for sure. And I, I noticed the same thing though leaving one eye closed, it is way sharper for me. But I think part of that too is I see more movement when I do that. 
and I don't, it's been a while since I've shot right-handed to know, but from my memory, when I shot right-handed and, and used both eyes or kept both eyes open, it seemed as though, I don't know if because my vision was kind of your in-between lands, it just seemed like everything was slower, like my sight didn't move as much, just kind of hung out. Whereas when I close one eye, it seems sharper and it can see that movement a little bit better. Yeah, that's cool. So let's, uh, I met you when you were, were you in college still when I met you? Nope, I was just out. So Oh, you were working I, for the DNR. So tell me, tell me yeah, how you ended yeah. up in La Crosse where I lived. Sure, so I went to school for wildlife ecology and management and biology in Stevens Point, Wisconsin. UWSP. And from there, I got hired from the DNR in La Crosse. So you graduated at Stevens Point? Yep. Oh, okay. What, like 06? And then when I moved to La Crosse, I didn't know anybody. You know, so obviously you meet people at work. And I knew just a couple people. Well, I went into archery shop right away because that was my passion. That's what I love to do. And it was Kyle at the time who owned it, obviously. And I just said to him, like, try to kind of work there, help out there just so that I can have a place to shoot for free. You know, throughout my whole, um, since I was a kid and really got into target archery, I was always in a shop, helping a shop just so that I could shoot, you know, like you get discounts on product, yeah. whatever. So that's why I work there. That's why I work there. Yeah, yep, exactly. Pay off stuff, pay off stuff you're going to buy anyways. Yep. And, uh, so yeah, I just talked to him and kind of got that was my side side thing you know i'd go work and then come there if i wasn't working at the cross archery i was shooting um or you know hunting or something obviously during the season but um yeah that's kind of what brought me there it was a great time being in that that side of the state i'm you know cleveland's on the east side of wisconsin and lacrosse is pretty much straight west right along the mississippi and the deer hunting was phenomenal um yeah, you, got, you, you capitalized pretty well on living there, Tom. <laughs> yeah, I was, I had never shot a Pope and Young deer in my life until I moved there. And I had, I got it. I was on a pretty good run while I was Yeah, there. you were. So do you remember your first deer you ever killed with a bow? Oh gosh, yeah, like it was yesterday. So what's, 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 well, give me the story, man. People love stories. I love them. <laughs> I could probably tell you every story of every deer I've ever killed, but... <laughs> Which is a lot. I don't want anybody to think like you haven't killed many. You've, you're piling My things memories, up. You know, you forget that you should remember, but stuff like that, it's just etched in your brain. Um, even does and things like that. But my first buck ever uh, goes back to, again, northern Wisconsin. Um, my parents have a little cabin up there, 20 acres, nothing fancy. And I went out, it was like October 15th or something like that, October 11th. And this little spike buck came in and he came right in. It was my second year bow hunting. And he came right in like 15 yards, drew back again, shooting fingers, shot and nothing. He ran away. I thought I smoked him. It looked like it went right behind the shoulder. Well, of course, everybody tells you that when they shoot one, right? Yeah. Right behind the shoulder. Yeah. Especially when they <laughs> shoot mechanicals and they don't find it. <laughs> yep. Yep. <laughs> this is a fixed blade, but... Literally, it went behind the shoulder, ran away. We searched forever, couldn't find it. I was just always mad. You never want that. Um, my dad was a dad who would give me a hard time. Um, he always said I had more lightning rods up there, um, just <laughs> arrows and stuff. And anyways, fast forward literally a month to the day. We're up there, and the same deer, it was right before a close, the weekend before gun season, if my memory's right. 
and it was a Sunday night and this deer comes hot, like just jumping in and I, I'm looking and I'm squinting and I'm like, that looks like it has an arrow in it. And I literally laughed almost out loud because it looked like the fletchings were still on. And I'm like, the neighbors must've just shot that thing. <laughs> what a horrible shot. <laughs> and this thing comes in and it's a little spike buck, like six inch spikes, little spindly thing. And he comes in and I'm like, that's my arrow. So this deer comes in almost a month later, same exact spot that I hit it the first time or where I shot at it, it stops. And this time I shoot and it does the, you know, the big back leg kick, mule deer kick runs off. And I get my dad and we come out and he's helped me track this thing. And I'll never forget. Cause we were at like maybe 25, 35 yards into the track. And he looks at me and he's like, you didn't get it. And I, I'm like, I've missed a few. So I'm like, oh, are you kidding me? I really think I got him. You know, he kicked and I'm, I'm like little kid and I'm just going after him. Like, come on, dad, come on. Are you sure? Like, let's how old go were you again? 13. 13. Yep. And he's like giving me a hard time. And finally he, he shines his light and he's like, well, why don't you just go look at that over there? He had seen it dead. Oh man. Yards. He's just giving me a hard time. And you know, I was elated, gave him a big hog ran over there. Um, uh, and I, I still have that thing. It's mounted in my house, like not a full body mount, but, or a, even just a, you know, little rack, but it, it means just as much to me as any of the big ones I've ever killed. Yeah. Like it was so fun. And then just having my father there and everything else. I remember I was, man, I was a terrible hunter. It wasn't, I was a terrible hunter. I just, I was, I get so cold. And so, you know how gun season in Wisconsin, for people that don't yep. know, Wisconsin deer gun season is like a holiday. You know, back yeah. when I was growing up, when I was 12, 13, 14, 15, all through high school, we took all the whole week off school. You had, a, yep. you had actually a deer hunters form that you had each of your teachers sign, and then you got off school. The whole you know, Saturday and Sunday were opening weekend, then Monday through Thursday, and then it was Thanksgiving. So we'd take the whole time off. And yep. I, I could never get a deer. My brother was shooting little spikes and forks. This is back when you shot everything. Anything with horns you shot. If somebody got a big buck is because yep. they're very lucky. You know, it wasn't quality deer or good hunting. And so my first buck I ever killed was with a bow. I was shooting. I first started shooting this old PSE that had no let off. It had like, it added weight as you drew back. I mean, it was just so bad. Then I went to a Jennings Unistar and I started to shoot a little bit. Then, uh, no, no, no. Yeah. Then I went to a Martin Bengal, kind of more of a radical type bow, but I shot all fingers. You know, the, the releases were just starting to come out. And I went to this property. My grandpa's brother owned this property, big 300 acres. And it's just the most beautiful. I always wanted to buy it one day. I was like, if I could ever buy land, that's what I'd buy. Because we grew up on squirrel hunting, deer hunting. And the upper part of it was a 40 acres. And then it was a huge open fields and it had a big valley running through it. And his farm was over on the one side. And so my my friend and I, John Severson, if you know him. um, He's the he's my rage buddy. You know he worked for Rage and he's now with Faradine, whatever. Um, he and I went out rattling, and I'm sitting on the ground. I'm rattling and I'm rattling, and I drove myself. So I was 16. I was 16 before I ever got my first deer, and I'm rattling. I think I was 16, or maybe somebody dropped us off. Whatever. Regardless, I'm rattling, and I, I remember a buck coming in behind me. And I looked, and it was a big one, and it ran away. And so I'm sitting on the ground just behind this big tree with a V in it. You know, it V'd right at the ground. So I'm sitting there, and all of a sudden, same thing. Just about dark. And I hear, I hear, and it's the rut. It's the prime rut. And I look up, and here comes this deer. And it's like, 
its neck, you know, its head is tiny, its neck is bigger than its chest. It's rutted up. And I can just make out a rack. And this is not good advice, but I'll just tell you how it ended up going down because I want to be truthful. So I draw back and I'm like, I can't see it through. I'm, I'm shaking so bad. And I kept looking back and then look up and I look back. I'm like, there it is. I think I got it in my peep sight. And I thought I had it in my peep sight and I shot. And I heard it, heard it and then it took off and I heard this, <clears throat> and it takes off running. So we went home and I told my dad, and we went looked that night, and we couldn't find anything. So we came back the next morning. Well, the way the property was, we could park up on top where I did, and then walk down, or you could drive all the way around through the farm and then walk this logging road all the way up through the empty fields and then to where we were. So my dad yep. said, "Well, it headed, you know, towards the farm. So let's come in that way, and we'll just walk over to where you shot it, and then we'll we'll track it because if it does go that way and you get it, we're closer to the vehicle." And I'm like, "Okay, that sounds good." So we get out of the vehicle and we're walking up this logging road. It's quite a long walk. And we're, I'd have to say 300 yards, 350 yards, 400 yards maybe from where I shot this thing. And we're walking up the logging room. My dad goes, my goodness, there's blood right here. And I'm like, what? And we're walking, I mean, this logging room is in the middle of a wide open field. So it's just old farm road, you know, going up into the woods. And and I'm like, well, maybe it's my deer. Let's turn and follow it. And he said, well, it should be going the other way. We turn around and here it is another 200 yards laying out in the middle of the field. So luckily we went, I don't think we ever would have found it because it, you know, it just didn't bleed much. Well, I hit it like right here. Oh boy. (laughs) Yeah. But it was a three pointer on one side and broke off on the other side. But I mean, like I was hooked because I had been, I'd been hunting and sitting in tree stands and I'd missed some deer and everything. But even though I made a bad shot, I got the deer and I just got, I was just absolutely hooked on bow hunting. Like I didn't even want to pick up a rifle anymore. I just wanted to bow hunt because it just, it, yep. it got me so much. Yeah, no, I hear you there. I, I was the same way. You know, I ha- shot that first year and the next year, I think I got another one. And then I was shooting com- like competition stuff. I was shooting a lot. So things, you know, I, I started hitting and getting everything I shot at for the most part anyways. And isn't that an amazing feeling when you make, I mean, I remember that I made the best shot I ever made after I missed, I missed one, I missed a huge buck. Then I missed another nice buck. Then I had a doe come in. Now it was, I was in college and we we're shooting 3ds all the time at Cooley, Winona, you know, yep. all around those areas. And I remember a doe coming in and she's about 15 yards out and I was shooting an XI intrepid. I still have it big finger bow. Cause I didn't want to go to a release. And I remember drawing back and I put it right behind her shoulder and everything felt good. And I shot and I drilled her. I was more ecstatic with that shot that I just put it behind the front shoulder than I think any shot I've ever made because it was like, finally, I'm starting to see the fruit of why we shoot all the time. Yeah. Oh, no doubt. Eh? You know what? We've had, I had that same conversation. It was out West one year. We were glass of mealies or something. And uh, the guy who was with me, we were talking about the same thing. Like sometimes it's not about the deer even. It's about the opportunity. It's about getting in that perfect spot where you can draw back and your pin just just sits. And it just, doom, you execute and you watch it go right where your pin was. And it's like just that feeling is what yeah. you're having. You know, like, the confidence to know that when I release, something's yep. going to die. I mean, if you do your part, and it, I say oh, this yeah. to everybody all the time, and I'm not anywhere in your caliber. Matter of fact, Dan Leffelman and I were talking, you know, we drew that Utah tag together, so we've been talking a little bit, and he said something about his shooting. He sent me a picture. I'm like, that's good shooting, Dan. And he goes, well, I'm not at your level. I'm like, you're way past my level. He goes, well, I'm not at Tom Herman's level. <laughs> that's what he said. He, and he said that. He goes, Tom Herman is probably the best shot that I know. Oh, man. So, I don't know all 
shot with a lot better shots than me. That's for sure. But well, no, I, I just remember you being in lacrosse archery, always drilling it. You had the, uh, um, I just remember, Oh, I got the guy from Arizona mule deer foundation calling me. I just reached out to this guy to, to help volunteer at some stuff. And he's calling me oh, right cool. now. Um, I just always remember, I'll never forget, because I think about it all the time. You'll laugh at this, but you would shoot. You had your same pattern. So when you'd shoot, you had your little release. <laughs> so you'd shoot, and you'd always put your hand, your release right in there. So it was always the same. And you would loop your hand back down in there. I just Every time I shoot, I'm like, man, I think you, you find it funny, yeah. but the things that stick in my mind, because I'm passionate about hunting like you are, I'm like, yeah. Tom's yeah. dialed in, man. He had his form was down, and yeah, you're a good shooter, and you made you you made it pay off on a lot of animals. Thanks. And now now it's t- finding time, and, and luckily right now, uh, for me, it, you know, it's always about shooting and, and keeping that repetitions up. But it's just hard, as you know, just getting older, family, and everything. Um, I got really lucky because my job or my work, I have a hundred yard range in the back, so I show up early every day. <laughs> yeah. Well, tell what what do you do? I mean. You've told so, me before, but what do you, what, what is yeah. it that you do? So we have, or my family owned, or my dad owns a salvage yard. So we buy vehicles from insurance companies, you know, wrecks, different things like that. Um, and then we get them in and then we salvage the parts. So an automotive recycling center, if you will. Um, so yeah, basically we're just into selling late model automobile parts back to, you know, uh, for insurance jobs, uh, body shops, collision centers, all that kind of stuff. And in the back, we have, you know, or I kind of built a couple different ranges. I have one so I can stand inside the building and shoot at 60. But if it's windy or whatnot, I can get a couple rips in. And then I have one that's a little bit further back. And I could get to 120, 140, whatever. I just, I usually don't have a pin for that far. Yeah. Uh, usually at 100. So that's great. Every morning I can come in. It's usually dead calm. There's no one here. It just makes my morning right. Yeah. You know, if I can come in and go back out there, get a couple shots before I come in and get to the grind, um, no one's around. and just a perfect way to start the day. So <laughs> if I if I rolled up to your spot, do you have a big salvage yard? Yeah. Yep. So we have, we're on 20 acres and, you know, we have 20 acres of cars back there, um, a couple warehouses, uh, that sort of wow. stuff. That's pretty cool. Yeah. 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 It's fun. So do you strip the parts yourself or do you got guys that go out and do it? No, we have guys, we have nine people. So we don't like I'm now anyways, kind of running the show. I guess my dad's kind of stepping away. He's 62 and still a little bit of everything being a small business, you know, not necessarily an owner right now, but managing everything. Um, there's a lot to do. So I do everything. I'm not afraid to do anything. And I think that's why some of the guys like it because I'm not afraid to get my hands dirty either if I have yeah. to show up or to help out because we're behind. Or Tommy boy, like. you really you're real world Tommy boy for us here, right? Yeah, I mean you got to be, you know. I, yeah, I was my thing growing up. I was I had a really good boss uh, at, at one job. I worked for a golf course, love golf too, and I uh, just don't do it anymore. But that boss was awesome. He was one of those guys who he he had your respect, but he was also willing to joke around a little bit and get right in the trenches with you. If you needed help or had a question, he wasn't afraid to get his hands dirty and help you out, show you something, teach you um, how to do something. And I, I just always wanted to be that guy when I was ever in the position to be a boss yeah. or to be, leader. is to, you know, lead from the front. I don't know if, if that's the right expression. Yeah. But, um, lead by example. Be, yeah. Lead by example, get your hands dirty and, I'm not better than anything, you know, it's just 
you know how it is. It's yeah, ruins a team and get to get the job yeah. done. So you got to have a lot of critters running around that uh, salvage yard, don't you? Yeah, um, we have actually we have quite a few deer. Like, just we have our property is located right next to a college. We have a little tech school that's right next to us, and obviously you can't hunt there. Um, there's ag fields all around, so yeah, we get we get quite a few. I'll put a game camera up just in a few spots and so it's not fenced you don't have to have your 20 acres fenced in nope nope uh we do have some fences but not like the backside isn't fenced we butt up to just like the colleges would they have some woods and stuff they don't have trails to it or anything so we don't have that portion fenced off and there's it's swampy and stuff so someone would go through there they would uh they'd be pretty wet (laughs) so has uh, this uh has this covid era messed with you guys at all yeah we're we're considered an essential business i guess so we still stayed working but yeah Yeah. i mean our sales everybody in our industry sales were were pretty much down for two months or so yeah like they've they've been coming back up we were fortunate enough we kept all of our guys and quite honestly did a lot of things that you always want to do and never have the time to do yeah gave you some opportunities yeah, cleaning up, going through inventory. The guys didn't like it very much. <laughs> it's tedious, but uh, they were working, so can't complain. No, too much. you can't complain. They just locked Arizona down for another thirty days. That's crazy. It's gonna hurt, man. There's there's gyms that are gonna. You know, I'm a fitness guy, and I got good friends, and man, they're all worried. I mean, they're big mountainside. Mountainside's like a big lifetime here, like a lifetime fitness. You know. Um, and they said right away they're going to sue the governor. So they were going to stand up to him, and they said, and everybody got behind him, and they went to court, and they lost. They just had to shut the doors. I mean, it's it's won't get into any of it, you know. Uh, obviously, yeah. it's not the, the platform for it, but obviously, it's it's my podcast. I can get anything I want, really. I can talk about it if I want to, uh, but I won't. But it's 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 sad. I mean, it really is. I. I hope things settle down and get us back on track. And but it, you know, it, it, here's the thing, though, Tom. I think you probably know this because you're smart, you're wise, you're 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 frugal. You live life the right way. You're. I mean, I I know you well. It exposed a lot of things, I think, and it can really expose excess living, excess spending, no, no savings, and all those kind of things. And hopefully, for the majority of people, they'll take a look at that and say, Grandma was right when she said, "Have some save for a rainy day." You know, and, right. and we live in such a keep up with the Joneses society that it's, you know, some of these businesses, one month, no money, they're out. You know, that exposed some poor financial decisions. And I don't mean that in any way. I don't want anybody to go out of business at all, but it really has exposed some things. Yeah. Yeah. It, you know, it's safe. Like you said, you got to always save for, for the bad times because you never know when it's going to come. And thankfully, like, like you said, I mean, raise right, give credit to my my parents for that but we always we always did that we did that here with the business as well so save for a rainy day because it wasn't it wasn't good we weren't you know the money coming in wasn't what we were used to but we still had enough to keep all the guys rolling and that's a blessing blessing here's my sponsorship uh trying to get my sponsorship duke cannon the the, you got to see this stuff offensively large lip balm so it's it's enormous but i was coming back from southern arizona hunting and I stopped at this pilot or loves, I think it was a loves. I don't think you got, I think you guys might have those by you. Yeah, there's a couple of them around. Yep. Yeah. Big ones, you know, and they got everything in there. And I'm like, I hadn't showered and I was going to, I think my son's football game. So I'm like, I got to get some stuff. I got to buy some deodorant. I didn't have any of it. I just got out of the woods 
And so I grabbed this Duke Cannon uh, big old thing of deodorant. And then they had this. I'm like, oh, my lips are so chapped. But this is like 10 bucks. I can't spend 10 bucks on lip balm. I'm like, it looks pretty cool, though. And so I bought it. We just ordered this stuff off Amazon. It's the best lip balm I've ever used. It really, no it really, really is good. So we ordered two of them. So I keep it here. I'm always, I'm always showing it off. I'm going to tag them on this and see if I can't get myself some kind of little Duke nice. can sponsorship. I don't even know if they like outdoors, though. So maybe they'd shut me down pretty right. quick. They might not like it. <laughs> yeah. So tell me about some of the – I just remember – I want to get into your Alaska hunt here, too, pretty quick. Yep. Um, but you had locked up a piece of property in, on Alaska – like I think yeah. you, everybody was jealous of Tom Herman because you had the property, and you end up killing that big old buck with the drop tying. You, you yeah. slammed a couple big old uh, world beaters on that on that property. Yeah, that was fun. Um, I wish I could still hunt there, but I can't. Uh, I think it's still huntable. There's one guy. There's one other guy who hunted it, but yeah, I was lucky. That was the the first place I kind of got into. And how did you end up um, getting that? So honestly, it was through, through the DNR a little bit, um, or at least I made the contact through there. So it was a unique deal where, um, the golf course wanted some damage tags cause they were having a lot of issues with the deer, um, rubbing fresh trees, just eating them. They couldn't get anything to grow and they wanted some stuff. So my boss at the time was kind of doing that, um, for them and, I just kind of knew about it. So I just made a phone call and tried to weasel my way in a little bit and say, Hey, you know, I'm the, you know, I'll be happy to harvest some does for you <laughs> and harvest some stuff. And, you know, there was actually that first year that we were on, there was, I think six guys who all got permission and six or seven and everybody had to pick their locations. You know, like I just got a topple map and I picked three spots and those were mine. That's all the only places I could go couldn't walk around or do anything or like scout anymore. And, uh, was it on the actual golf course? No, it wasn't. So there was like a developer who was, who owned all the land around it. Yeah. And that's where I could actually go and hunt. So like now on Alaska has a city deer hunt at that time, there wasn't, so you couldn't do the city limits. And I picked my three spots and I ended up being the old, there was, you know, two other guys total that ended up staying so over half the field got cut the first year because most guys who came in there only wanted to shoot bucks and they didn't want to shoot any does well i followed through kept my word and shot some does and then you know i got a big buck too and then because of that i got to stay yeah and it actually it was kind of crazy when it started i believe if my memory's right it was like 360 acres of woods the first year and where I killed my deer the first year got sold the next year. Um, so that stunk because I had to go to a new spot and then kind of meet the other guy who was hunting the other thing and figure out how are we going to do it. And, uh, and then, yeah, the drop time buck was a, that was the following year. And I found him or I got a trail camera picture and actually yeah. I, passed, I passed up on the trail camera picture. I'll never forget. It, it was in July. It was a side profile and he just didn't look that big. And I was just flicking through as fast as I could, looking at all these images. And it wasn't until like a day later, I was just going through them a little slower. And I was like, oh my gosh, I zoom in. I was like, that thing, that thing has a drop time. You know, and the pictures weren't quite as good either back then. You know, this is an old cutty back, like white flash camera. And 
I zoomed in and sure enough, it was, it had a big drop. So then yeah. it was kind of all over him. And that deer was, ended up not really living on my side or the part that I could hunt. And the neighboring guy, I always shared everything. So I, I told him, hey, this is what I got. I sent him the images. Well, he started getting images of that deer like all through August. And how it ended up working out was I was videotaping for somebody. So I left for Illinois and I was gone like October 24th to the 30th or something like that. And I came home and I brought the guy I was videotaping. I took him to my, one of my stands and he ended up shooting a deer in there. Uh, and it's like, in the meantime, the other guy had seen this drop time buck, had him at like 40 yards and just couldn't, couldn't shoot or didn't feel comfortable with the distance, whatever the story may be. And I hadn't seen hide or hair of him that whole month. I hadn't seen a picture of him in, in October at all. And when you know it, I went out there actually with JJ. He was videotaping me at the time. And we hadn't seen anything all day. He was actually sleeping in the stand above me. And uh, right as dark, dark started coming, you know, we heard this deer coming and just knew it was a good buck. He's like, shooter, shooter, shooter. And deer comes in and I lost my grunt call. So I had said to JJ, I was like, grunt at him. He just voice grunted better than I did, I guess. And he grunted at him and he ends up coming in. And I come to full draw and he grunts at him to stop him. And the deer stops on a dime and I'm at full draw. Right. And I have zero shots, no shots. And it starts moving again. And JJ grunts at him again and the deer stops. And finally I'm like, don't do that. You know? And luckily for me, the deer didn't freak out or do anything. It started coming and I finally stopped it where I had a lane and then shot it. And the weirdest thing ever happened or one of, you know, it just hadn't happened to me before, but I shot that deer. I had a lighted knock. You could see the arc part shot. It took three jumps, stood there for about 30 seconds, walked up the bluff like 50 yards. And I was freaking out because I didn't know what happened. It looked like I smoked him, but he didn't act hurt. And then he just tipped over and I missed one part in there. But as soon as I shot, like instantly, the arrow's in the air and JJ's like literally claps his hands and he's like, drop time buck, drop time buck. (laughs) I turned around and looked at him. I'm like, shh, he's not even dead. He's right there. Um, But I'll never forget that hunt. It was awesome. And uh, we had, you know, like I said, I was filming for, for a guy at the time. So we ended up going up there and showing those guys and they had people in at his house that were um, big wigs in the industry, I guess you could say. And so it was fun. We got to kind of enjoy that deer. And I can remember driving home with him. I had him propped up or for pictures the next day it was, I had him propped up in a little game carrier in my Chevy blazer. And uh, I had him looking like just how I wanted him posed. Right. I had posed him overnight. So he was all stiff. And I was, people were speeding up on the interstate trying to get past me, you know, giving me the thumbs up and stuff. It was, it was pretty cool. And one, and yeah. just an incredible picture too. Um, that'll be when I, when I post this and I post pictures, I'll, I'll have that yeah. as one of the pictures. That's uh, just, a, yeah, you were the talk of the town. You were the talk of the archery shop. I think probably everybody tried to get on that property after that then, didn't they? Yeah. Yeah. It was luckily for me, it, Nobody really could. I mean, it was locked down. It was yeah. pretty much just me and the one other guy for years. And uh, 
yeah, took a couple other ones off there and it was fun. Great place. But now then I moved home and kind of just couldn't make it happen anymore. And then time changes. And people that guy change. that owned the trucking company that came in the shot all the time, he worked for the trucking company. Yeah. His wife, I think is, I think it's your ex-wife now. I don't know. What, what, what was his name again? Davis. Steve, yeah. Did he hunt back in there too? Yeah, so that's the other guy I'm talking about. That's who he, I thought it was. He wasn't too thrilled. Oh, he wasn't because I remember. I, I, who knows if he'll ever listen to this. If he does, if he can't I, get I a kick not. out of it. If I'm going to say, he was very salty about it. Too, I called him after I shot it. I got it loaded up on my car and I'm like, I'm like, Steve, you're not going to believe it. I got this buck, you know, and he's like, no, you didn't. And I'm like, no, yeah, I did. I, like, I got him. He's in the back of the truck now. Like, I smoked him. And he's like, I'm like, should I come over? Do you want to see him? Because he lived right there. Yeah. You know, I could drove right to his house. And uh, he he said no. He said, I don't want to see him. I, to this day, like, I got him mounted the whole nine. He would never see that deer. And he told me, like, a year later or something like that, that he was just too competitive and he couldn't see it. I just remember as you – that's who I thought it was when you said the other guy. I was going to ask you instantly. You know, I remember all this stuff is kind of coming back to me. It's been quite a few years. I remember talking to him in the archery shop, though, and I got a, I got a hint of saltiness. Like, yeah. I remember and, saying something about Tom's butt because I knew he hunted there, and I remember yeah. him being a little bit – if he does listen to it, I don't know if he ever would, but if he does, hey, listen, get over it, man. Steve, get over yeah. it. You've killed a lot of animals, too. It is what it is. Exactly. And the, you know what gets me all the time is just as a hunter in general, be happy for your Exactly. Your I mean, that's what kills me. Like, the next year I passed up – or maybe it was the next year the year – after that, I passed up a deer in December. Um, I had a muzzle, you know, it was muzzleloader season and I was hunting with my bow and I had this 10 pointer come through and I didn't shoot it. And his wife ended up killing that deer a few days later. And I showed up, took pictures, helped took pictures. They took more pictures in the morning. I don't think they used mine, but um, either which way it was like, I would much rather see a fellow hunter, especially someone on my same property, kill that deer than it get hit by a car or, you know, not that it's any less important, but killed, you know, three miles on the road. And I never get to see the story right. and be a part of the recovery. And to me, that's about it. The camaraderie and, and just, I don't know, but he couldn't be happy for me. Yeah. <laughs> I, I say this every time we talk about hunting, you know, hunting can bring out the worst in people, the yeah. competitiveness. I know I could say a name and I won't say the name, but you'd know this individual very well. And he is one of the greatest hunters I've ever been around. He's absolutely incredible yeah. shot. And where he whitetail hunts, they grow in the 200 inches, and it's not far from where our archery shop was there. And yeah. he can't go and leave his truck where he wants to hunt because he's been lied about. People say he poaches because he's an incredible hunter, and nobody's happy for it. If the jealousy reigns so high sometimes when it comes. I think the majority of people are good, though. I, I really do. But there's you always get that little bit of competitiveness but we need everybody to be happy for each other. The last thing we need in our shrinking community of outdoorsmen and women is any fighting internally. We get enough fighting after us on the outside of people that don't want us hunting, that don't understand it. We yep. need to all come together, whether it's a gun hunter, a muzzleloader hunter, traditional hunter. You know, There's always that. <laughs> it's kind of like uh, wrestling and basketball, traditional and compound. You know, they're, they're, sometimes they're always at each other like this a little bit. Wrestlers yep. and basketball players were always like that. Just, uh, hey, man, I'm just happy for you to be an outdoorsman or outdoorswoman and do it ethically and keep the young ones in it and keep yeah. money going to the states. If you're doing it legally, you're following the rules, 
Um, what, like you said, and I think the bigger one now, at least in Wisconsin, is probably crossbows. You're right. Yeah. Like that's a huge thing. And if you, we got some friends that are pretty vocal about that. (laughs) And if you're doing it legally, you know, it is what it is. I have friends on both sides of the coin. You know, I got guys who completely abandoned compound hunting and they were successful with the compound. That they're just getting older, shoulders aren't as good, and they chose, and, and it's easier regardless of what anybody says. Yeah. It's easier. I don't think they're more accurate, but it's easier to be accurate. You don't have to work as hard. Yeah. So. Yeah, Wisconsin really they they uh, stoked the fire a little bit when they passed that law. There was there's quite a bit of fighting against that. I mean, a lot of states are you need to have a permit to use a crossbow, but Wisconsin went to all cross. Anybody can use a crossbow. I mean, you could pick a crossbow up and hunt. Yep. You know what? You know what I think they're great for. I really do. Young kids. I have yeah. a, a my friend lives. His name is Greg. He lives in Ohio, and his son is nine, eight or nine, and they can hunt with an adult. Like it's not like Wisconsin where you have to be now ten, I guess, but it used to be twelve. Yeah. And they actually, Wisconsin actually reversed that. It's any age now. Oh, good. That's yeah. that's good. I'm I'm, I'm happy great. for that. My buddy has a video. He's got 300 acres in Ohio, and he's got his son on a tripod. Um, with his crossbow and he smacks a big old tom turkey guess what that son is young enough where you know with the new ammunition he could probably shoot a 410 and and get away with it but he wanted to do it with his dad's crossbow that kid is hooked for life like he's hooked for life and 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 so i get i I get it i'm I'm with you i'm like if you're doing it legally i you can hunt with me anywhere you want to hunt let's hunt whether i don't care what weapon you pick up i'm going to choose my compound bow for now Who, who knows i mean Right. My shoulders might be bad enough one day I might have to use a crossbow. I, I, I hope not to, but right. I don't know. Right. And it, part of it that people say with their shoulders is it's a guy thing where we are all macho and we'll got to draw 70 pounds and you got to draw 60 pounds. Well, shoot, my wife's killed deer with 30 pounds. If you shoot an appropriate broadhead with a heavy or a decently heavy arrow, like you're going to smoke through critters like nobody's business yeah. you don't have to shoot 60 pounds especially for a whitetail yeah you know they're pretty thin and your shot ranges are close that you can go for a long time talking about broadheads what is your setup what are you shooting nowadays what bow arrows broadheads what do you shoot this so is the fit I'm, archer so i have no sponsorships tom so yeah. everything is open you can talk about anything that you want to talk about <laughs> yeah no i'm rolling actually i'm staring at it right now but um i have a revolt x Wow, you went to that's right yeah, yeah. so i shot hoyt um for years knew the hoyt rap um i was helping me out and whatnot it was really good to me but the botech and this was when he was still a hoyt rep he's not anymore uh the botech for me it was just consistent more consistent day in and day out i could take a break pick it up and it would right down the middle didn't have to adjust sights do anything and now like i, I shot the realm X. That was my first bow tech. And I, I loved it. I actually sold all my other bows and bought two of them. Mm. And then when this uh, Revolt X came out, I was hesitant. I didn't buy it at first, but part of what really drew me to it is like last year, for example, on that uh, Alaska hunt and the year before, I guess I hunted Colorado with it. I was always nervous putting my bow down in the rocks. Those, those cables are so wide. It, the stance on that bow is so, so big that every time I put it down, I was afraid of catching one of those cables and cutting it or one of the yokes. And now being internal and you can move the cam. I love that system, man. Yeah. It is. Yeah. The bow shoots lights out. 
it's super easy to tune. You can just mess around with it. Before I'd come up to the shop here and shoot, and then I'd have to run home to you know throw it on a throw it on one of my excuse me throw it on one of my uh, presses and then run back. And now it's like I can just a couple of Allen wrenches and I'm good to go. Yeah, I got the Revolt X sitting over here, and I shot the Realm last year. So, you know, I've been shooting Bowtech for a long, long, long time. And I shot yeah. Matthews in there for a while, too, and yeah. loved it. I think, you know, it's, as you know, man, it's hard to pick up a bad bow anymore. It may, yeah. it, I don't think you can. I mean, maybe you get a one that's got some issues and you just get a different one, whatever. The, most manufacturers take care of you, but they all make some amazing things. And, you know, some people got reasons why they shoot one. You know, it's like Ford, Chevy, Dodge, pee on this, pee on that. It's okay. Yeah. I just have always <laughs> felt like even working at – Lacrosse Archery, when I did, you know, being a, being a Matthews dealer, even then I, I shot Bowtech. And when somebody yeah. come in, and, and if I had to go out and help them, typically I was in the back, but if I did have to go out and help them, I always tell them the same thing, like, shoot them all. I mean, just yeah. shoot every one of those because maybe that mission yeah. is better or maybe that diamond is going to just – what you're. I, mean, I think people can really tell when you pick a bow up how it just melts in your hand and you know, like, yeah. oh, this is it. And a lot of them do that nowadays, but I shoot this Revolt X – better at longer ranges than any bow i've ever had and i think i got it balanced a little better i, I really started to paint it and it weighs a lot but yeah. i really have it balanced out I, mean, I was shooting the other day with uh, my friend mike and my friend anthony and mike said to me he goes i don't know what you did to it but don't do anything different because it's like it's not moving when you shoot like yeah. i draw back and that pin's got a little float but i mean i got it balanced absolutely perfect and the farthest that i can get to is 90 yards i shoot heavy arrows and i just bumped up from 27 to 28 inch draw length i've been shooting 27 my whole life and i did that when i was working at lacrosse archery you'll some people might not agree with this but i did a lot of late season bow hunting and i would set my my stand up so if i'm the deer would come in the way i'm facing you know how we late season hunt there and i always sat over the same cornfield and i had one little spot where they could shoot them so i set it up where the tree was my backstop so i'd have to shoot facing them like this so It was different. I it, I needed to shoot a shorter draw length than what I actually measured for because I wasn't absolutely just you know straight up in my yard. I'm shooting with my arm between here, so I needed to go a little bit shorter. So I just got accustomed to it. Well, this bow, I finally sent a video to Anthony, and I said, "Do you think I could squeak another inch out?" I measure for 28 inches, and he goes, "Yeah, absolutely." So that was took a little bit getting used to, but I so I went to 28 inch draw, but a 517 grain arrow. So I'm shooting a really a heavy arrow, but I like that. I just always have. And for sure, yeah. I went to the same thing. I'm shooting a 500. It's like 505 grains, and I had a similar story as as you. I actually measure short. Like I measure 27 inches, and I shot 27 inches for years. And I was at a at, I was at a tournament with. So if anybody knows tournament archers, like one of the goats um, is Dave Cousins, and I was shooting a tournament in Spooner, Wisconsin. It was an indoor feeder. And I was ripping on him because that's what I like to do, just give people a hard time. And he uh, he ripped right back at me and said, oh, at least my draw like isn't all jacked up. And I'm like, what do you mean? You know, like cocky little kid, like, what are you talking about, man? And he's like, I'm like, what, like a half inch or something? And he's like, yeah, try two inches. So literally mid-tournament, we had shot 90 meters and 70 meters. I adjusted my bow two inches longer. My arrows didn't fit, so I borrowed arrows, and I finished the that last half of that day uh, with somebody else's arrow and a two-inch longer draw length. It's like, well, no, time's, no time like the present. So I went almost to a 29-inch draw 
I shoot at like 28 and 7 eighths. Do you really? How tall are you? You're my height, right? 5'8". Five eight. Five eight, five yeah. You got have, long arms? Yeah, I do. I have long arms. So that helps. But when I did that, it just made everything easier. Like having the shots go off, like with building pressure and everything, it just, it's in a different position and shots just break more fluid. And it was a really, it was a good thing. My aim is way better. And I've even shot like target wise. I've even been to all the way to like 29 and a quarter, just depending on the bow. Um, and I don't really like lean back. That was the one thing with your story on lacrosse. When I first moved there, everybody had the same form. I, when I first got there, I called it the lacrosse lean because everybody would be big old bent elbow and they'd be hitched back. Everybody. High Maybe shoulder. that's because I was setting their bows up. <laughs> <laughs> Every single guy was like that. And I was always, I'd laugh. I'd be like, gosh. And I, I literally said that to everybody. I was like, you guys got the lacrosse lean going on here. Um, but yeah, I think, honestly, I think we've went in archery to, we were at such a thing where, you know, oh, we only have 29 inch draws and everybody just shot whatever they had. And then it went the opposite way where people were literally shooting shorter than what they could, um, which short isn't a bad thing, especially like you said, late season, tons of clothes, up and down hills. Um, so it's not a bad thing. It's easier to shoot shorter than it is to shoot too long. That's what I was going to say. But I think a lot of people are too short. But yeah. That's just- no, I, I think you're exactly right. I was going to say that. I think I bet, I bet if you lined up, especially newer shooters – um, yep. just somebody that picks up a bow or, or something like that and just goes to a, especially they go to a box store and they don't actually don't get fitted real well. They're probably right. shooting wrong and it can get frustrating because that it has such a difference on your, on your windage left and right. I mean, it's, yep. I'd always be, I'd always, cause I'd always come to draw and then I would just settle. I, I had the lacrosse lean. I mean, I just locked in <laughs> and I always knew I had more in there because I had to get my arm just right to really yep. fit in good. But now it was, it took me a little bit to, push out because now I'm pushing out a little bit more. It took me a little bit to do that, but now I feel I, I really like it. And obviously I picked up, Anthony said I'd pick up 15 feet a second, but I only picked up about nine feet a second, which is still good. My arrows are heavy. They're good. And, and, and it should blow through yeah. about anything. Oh yeah, for sure. Are you shooting the comforts or the performance? Comfort. Comfort. Okay. Yeah. There, that draw is so smooth on the comfort. I don't, it, I don't think any bow out there, at least that I've shot, rivals that thing. I got a VXR 31 and a half that I'm fixing for a buddy of mine or just setting up, whatever. And uh, Anthony's actually sending it to me uh, shortly here. But that bow to me, when you draw it, it's just a totally different draw cycle. It's smooth in its own right, I guess. But when you're used to the the Realm X on comfort, it's not that like that. Yeah. That thing is – and I actually um, – I did change mine to performance. Um, Dude. it just matched my sight scale better from last year, my pin gaps a little bit. And I liked a little bit more holding weight. I should look and, at mine and see, I don't know. Yeah. It has a little less Valley, but not, it still has a good amount of Valley for me for hunting. I'm going to grab mine. Keep talking. Yep. And I just love the, uh, just love the feel of the whole thing. And my group's kind of tightened up instantly when I did it. So might as well. You got a bunch of big old stabilizers. You never ran with a back bar before that, did you? I never did. You know, I didn't really, you know, because I was in that train of thought of, oh, I need it lighter. Um, So let's see here. Uh, Let me go on the right side. I don't want to knock everything over. 
I'm on comfort. Comfort's pointing out. Okay. Yep. So it's comfort. Yep. So is it just pull harder and a little bit less Valley when you go to the performance? Yeah, there's, there's a definite hump in it. I would say it pulls a little bit harder and then, then there's a little hump going into the back end, but on the back end, there's still plenty of Valley and there's less holding weight. How much so, more speed does it pick up? I never measured it, but it's got to be eight feet a second, seven, eight from what I'm hearing from people. Man. Nah, so, I probably and, You know what? I, it's worth a shot, but in a perfect world, to be totally honest with you, I would run the same bow I'm running right now in performance through everything out west. It's warmer usually. You're At least you're warmed up. You're hiking around. You're whatever. Yeah. And then for whitetails, I'd have another bow set up completely, and I'd run comforts and roll that way. Just to have, you know, you sit in a stand for four, five, six hours, and you're cold, and yeah, it's easy to draw back. Yeah. Yeah, I went to, um, this is where my, what I didn't like about the back bar before was I was running it off here, and I just didn't like it because it was always hitting my arm, and then it was really tough to carry, so I just put it down here, and all I kept doing was just moving this, I just kept playing with this till I could really, you know, just going from one way or the other and yep. just played with a couple different weights until when I drew back, it just didn't move. Yep. Like I just put my pin on and it just, I mean, obviously there's some float, but it, it wasn't oh, okay. like typically like my going down and, and I was just watching some videos. Levi Morgan was doing some stuff and I'm like, he's got it figured out pretty good. I think he's a pretty good shooter. So I think I could listen to him. Yeah, um, he's <laughs> and I did that in, I like it. It is heavy, but you know, when I did the podcast the other day with Big Mo, he's a he's a coos deer killing guy out here. Yeah. He's killing. He I wouldn't. Watched. Yeah, he wouldn't talk about yardages. And I wish he would have. He's killed seven or eight coos deer now with his bow over a hundred yards. Yeah, and they're they're tiny. They're tiny and jumpy, and yeah. you know you're in the wide open. You know how it is. Yeah. Um, and he said that when he said, you know, if you're worried about carrying a couple extra pounds, you got a lot more to worry about there. I mean, you shave the pounds elsewhere. So, right. But most guys, let's be real honest. Most guys could shave a few pounds off their stomach and then roll with the heavier bow that aims. Well, that is exactly <laughs> right. It's exactly right. Speaking of that, what do you, what do you got for this fall? What are you training for this fall? Uh, I'm going on a Alpine mule deer hunt right away in Colorado. The season kind of stinks because Colorado changed everything. So it doesn't start until September 2nd, I think, which is a Wednesday. Oh, wow. Yeah, not not ideal. Same place you've always been going? Yeah, yep. Yeah, we've been in the area for a number of years. Since 2012, I think I missed two years. I went elk hunting one year. And then last year I didn't go because of the Alaska deal. Yeah. So I headed there. And then I'm actually going to go. I'm coming home for two weeks after that. And then I'm going out with actually Anthony and um, JJ or Justin to uh, their pronghorn spot in North Dakota. Ah. Spot. I've never shot a pronghorn um, and he kind of asked or had room. So I thought I would do that. It's too. addicting. I love antelope hunting. I, I, I'm like you though. I mean, you're going to love it. I love every hunt I've ever been on, but yeah. I love shot a few, quite a few antelope. We had a great spot in Wyoming. And so it's just, and I actually drew a, a Nevada antelope tag a couple years ago and i went and i ended up missing one and should have should have got another one i should have got a shot off i didn't I, did, I came home empty-handed but i just i love it man i love antelope hunting they're a unique animal you'll love it let's talk about this alaska hunt quick 
before uh, I don't want to yeah. keep you on too long. I know you got I know you got yeah. girls probably knocking on the door, or maybe you want to hide in your office longer. I don't I don't know. Yeah. I actually stayed at work, so I was like, <laughs> I can't be at home because if I'm at home, if I'm on the phone or on the computer, it's it's honestly a magnet for them. They're just yeah. attracted, to it. so they constantly come down and and uh, love them to death, but bug me, you know. <laughs> oh, hey, I'm so we moved, and I used to have an, uh, an enclosed office, and we we changed our life plan up. Life life threw us some curveballs, as yeah. it throws everybody yeah. some curveballs. And so now my office here, because I have an in, inside office, I'm an independent agent, um, is here. I can see into the kitchen. My kids are there. So every time I'm ready to do a podcast, I'm always like, kids, kids, shut up. Shut, get off the internet. You know, I'm always yelling. I'm looking. I'm going like this, you know. But yeah, we're real yeah. world. I mean, I'm, I'm not fancy. I'm just, I am who I am. And it is. But let's talk about your last hunt because the guy that you went hunting with, Jonah, Jonas. Yeah. Stewart. He yeah. has got the biggest bears that I can't help but just, I, I want to be there. I want to test my mental manhood on one of his in-the-ground blind brown bears that they're big as trucks and at probably 20 yards yeah. to shoot with a bow. I mean, it just looks yeah. unbelievable, and I really, really want to do that. Yeah, I want to do it too, man, for sure. It, he, This is my first time. I've been talking to Jonah. This whole hunt deal kind of was a whirlwind. So I'd actually been talking to him probably since my first time ever going out west. I always wanted to shoot a sheep. I just always thought sheep were cool, um, kind of the pinnacle thing. And so it just didn't work out. You know, this would happen, that would happen. My wife said no, let's be real honest. Um, Bless her soul here. uh, Just a, a number of things happened and made everything come together. And him and I worked out a deal and I kind of came up for a combo thing. Um, cause I, I convinced my wife that, you know, shooting more animals is actually cheaper than shooting just one, because if I only shoot one, well, then I got to go back to get the next one. So if I shoot multiples, uh, it just makes it cheaper. So anywho, I hope all uh, the hunters heard that. So that the yeah. justification line from now on, you just gave great wisdom for every guy hunter out there, Tom. Yep. Yep. So she, you know, thank God, especially taking care of three kids, bringing them to school, everything that else goes along with it, all their sports and stuff. And she let me go and flew up there and got into town. The camp was awesome. Uh, Hung around the first day and shot and stuff. And we flew in. And as most people know, if anyone's ever hunted Alaska, you can't hunt the first day you fly. So we got in there and set up a spotting scope and I was glassing and we saw like nine rams the first day and we're they're at like maybe two and a half miles, something like that. And we were just picking them out. They were spread out on the mountain. There was like three little groups, bands, whatever you want to call them. And it looked as though there were three potential shooters, hard to tell from that distance, but we thought there was three that were close and they were all separate. So the, the guides I had two guides with me, and they were both kind of like, oh, yeah, we've been tagging out. Everybody shot something like the first day or the second day at the worst. And they've been staying right there. And so I was jacked, like, can't sleep. You know, like, we're going to get up in the morning. They're all going to be here. It's going to be great. Well, being from Wisconsin uh, and being from Central Time Zone, I'm up. Like, it's way dark. And I'm up, ready to go, like, wide awake. And probably because I had a sheep tag in my pocket, too. So as soon as the as light cracks, I get out, I set up my spotting scope, guides are still in their tents, and I'm looking and looking, and I see two rams go up and over the mountain, nothing else. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. You know, like, 
where are all the Rams go? And then I'm like, oh, they must be in the rocks, whatever. Guides got up and stuff. We all started glassing, never saw a sheep. And it's like, there's tons of games, so don't, don't get me wrong. But we went up, we ended up, we packed up, brought in four days. We thought, oh, we'll go up. Like, we're going to find him. We just got to look in a little bit. We just can't see him. So we get up there, set up camp, go out. We ended up seeing two banana horn rams. In Alaska, they got to be full curl, eight years old, or broom, both sides broomed, I believe. And we saw two little, like, three-quarter curl banana rams, whatever, right at last light, came back, slept. Next day, fogged in until 2 o'clock in the afternoon. And that was a crazy feeling. But it was all right. I was kind of prepared for it. I've watched enough shows, watched enough YouTube. Like, you know it can happen. I've been to Alaska before. And get up, go out, and at the end of that day, we seen a ram that we thought was legal. We just needed to get a little closer. And I took off because I was like, you know, I got a bow, and that's all I brought. So I'm like, we got to get closer in his last light. So I'm boogieing, and all of a sudden I look back, and the guides are still behind me, and I'm like, oops, better wait. So uh, they they kind of caught up. And not to say that they're lazy or slow by any means. I was probably just a little excited and kind of ran. Um, but they caught up and the Rams ended up getting to a spot. We couldn't do anything that night and went back and sure enough, the next morning, get up, pack up camp, going to go in, slip up on these things. They're gone again, whole Valley, nothing, no Rams, nothing. So we moved locations again and it just kind of kept going on. And finally we were out of food. So we had to go back to like the base camp where we got dropped off with the plane and just refuel. And on the way back, we were walking this rim and just kind of always glassing because you never know. And we ended up seeing this ram we saw the first day, and he was injured somehow. He was kind of limpy, so you could tell him. You could t- easily tell it was him from a distance. And he's boogieing. So we're beating feet to try to get to this little saddle, this gap. And we get over there, and he wasn't there. And we kind of debated a little bit and the guides were awesome because they really let me have a say too. like, I'm pretty aggressive and kind of have something in my head. And they, they weren't just people who were like, no, we're doing it this way. They're like, Hey, what do you want to do? And so they kind of let me do some of that. So we, we go up and we get right above them on this bench and where we think they're going to be, or at least be able to look. And there's like seven, there's eight Rams. I think it was all bedded, bedded down. And two of them that we thought were full or big enough to shoot legal. And we're sitting there and sitting there. And at first I think I said to the guys like, well, your sleeping bags, like we're going to have to sleep here because who knows where they're going to go. We have no food left. And uh, the longer we sat and the longer we watched the wheels in my melon just kept turning. And they're like, you know, every time you went to bed, these things have gotten up and ran away, you know, or not ran away, but they were just gone in the morning vanished out of the basin so i'm sitting there and sitting there and it was really windy and they say the ram's bed looking the way they're going to walk so it just wasn't set up for me to get there and just studying the terrain and whatnot i just didn't feel like i had a shot at all so we just had to sit there and finally i just said you know i said to the guide you know give me your gun what kind of gun do you have you know what's the drop we ranged them and i got in a prone position on a pack and, and made the shot and dropped the ram. Uh, so like we were kind of talking pre-podcast here, I 
I'm super pumped. I was so happy with the RAM. Don't get me wrong. It's a great RAM. Um, but I was a little bit like, ugh, part of me is like, could I have got him with a bow? And then as we went down to get the RAM, I told, said to the guys, I'm like, let's go the way I would have stopped. Let's just go that way for my peace of mind. Like, see if I had a chance to get close. And I didn't. Like, I would have never gotten to within 100 yards. I would have had to go past the other Rams to get to them. And it just wouldn't have worked. And it was too windy to shoot that far to begin with, with a bow. So we do all the celebratory stuff and whatever. It was great. Super happy. But again, just in the back of my mind, it's always there to this day. Like, man, what if I would have waited? Like, would they have been there in the morning? Would they have tried to come up a different way? You didn't just. So now there's a reason to go back. Like you said. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. They love the sheep meat. It's gone already. So they're always elbowing mom that I should go back. So we'll see. But as it would happen after that, we, we shot back to our tent, had my sheep. We called in Jonah. Um, Jonah doesn't guide. Jonah just flies and stuff and scouts. And he's constantly scouting, constantly looking for stuff, which is a great feeling because, you know, if you're not in a spot, he's always got fresh intel, be it whatever you want. So. He came, picked up my my horns, and we ended up walking to our uh, moose spot where we were going to kind of start concentrating on moose. And it was like a, I don't know, five or six hour walk. And we got there, set up camp, and didn't really see any moose the first day. It was pretty warm for that time of year. And we got, or one of the guides got a message from Jonah one day and said like, hey, would, would Thomas shoot a big bull with a gun and they asked me and I said man you know I already shot one critter with a gun I really want to shoot this thing with a bow and kind of joking I was like well if it's 68 inches or bigger I'll shoot it with a gun because I'm five foot eight 68 inches I'm like I want to lay in the rack so Jonah texts back and he's like okay where do you want to meet like it's probably that cl- it's probably close to that so I'm like all right here we go and we pack up camp, we meet him. This is like end of the day sort of stuff. So we're like hustling to try and get everything done because he's got to taxi three guys over to this new spot. And uh, on the way, don't even like to say this, but we find, we see this wolf and you can shoot a wolf, whatever. It was a white one. It was beautiful. And they were howling that night too, whatever. So I like yelled to the guide, like, give me your gun, give me your gun. And he, we couldn't get his guns on strap fast enough. So it's like, oh man. So we start going again, literally a couple steps later, it reappears in the open. I'm like, give me your gun. So he hands it to me. Now this thing's a, this is what I shot the sheep with too. It's a 375 H&H. Like this thing's a tank. No one would give me a shoulder. Can you imagine why? So I'm free handing with my backpack on and it's like 260 yards, 250 yards, something like that. So probably not a great chance of me getting this thing, but I, I squeezed one off and I hit somewhere close to the, to the wolf because it kind of jumped up. And I, at first I was like, Oh, did I hit it? And the guys were like, no, <laughs> no, you didn't. <laughs> and then I scoped myself to, to top it all off. <laughs> Never scoped myself or got close, but I think because of the backpack, like having the straps there or something, I was just leaned in too far, whatever. Anyways, missed the, missed that opportunity got flown out he actually flew us over the top of this uh moose and it it literally looked like it had two pieces of bland x sheeting on the sides of its head like it's just so big so 
we make a plan and we get up there and actually on the way we find this little bull and he was legal way narrow. He was probably under, it has to be 50 inches or four brow tines in that zone. So we get there and I'm like, well, it's potentially a bow shot. So like, let's go after it, see what happens. And I sneak in and the one guy kind of rakes a branch a little bit and this bull starts coming and he's grunting and stuff and, you know, beating up some brush and he gets in and I'm ranging him and I'm ranging him and he's 105 and then he's, he gets all the way and he's behind in these trees, you know, and I don't really have a shot and he gets, there's one tree at 65 and I'm like, I'm ready to go. I, my pins are I have five pins, 30 to 70. So 65 is right in the wheelhouse, especially on something that's, you know, giant to begin with. So right when he gets by this tree, I'm going to take a shot. Of course, whatever happens, I don't know if the wind swirled or whatever, he didn't like something, turns around, goes back. I quick slid my sight because I knew right where 100 was, slid it to 100, and he stopped right there. And I drew back, and it just wasn't good. Like, I didn't have enough time to get steady, and he wasn't. So I just let down, whatever. And he went off, and it's like, well, no big deal. The big one's up there. Like, let's go after the big one. And when we got close to where the big one was, just no, no chance to get close to him with a bow like literally after i shot him we snuck up and actually a cow is what brought us to the bull we we got up there and the bull was bedded down and the cow was up yet and the cow actually got him up and then i ended up making a shot actually a couple and he went down and we had to be within 12 yards before this bull before i could even see where the bull was like that's how tall the brush was and whatnot so like just, we had to be where we were with elevation. We were like two and a half miles off of the river too, which is, we were literally, as we went up to kill this bull, uh, there were sheep that we scared off, like using lambs. So it was insane. Uh, I was probably, and Jonah said that after, I was probably the only one dumb enough to go up that high and shoot moose. Um, but got it done. And he had said too, or in this zone, you have to carry him out whole. Or not whole, I shouldn't say that, but you have to carry the quarters out. It has to be on the bone. So oh, wow. like you have to carry the ribs out, everything. I'm a little guy. I'm like 155 pounds. And strapping a moose quarter on your back is not very fun. Like Jonah kept saying, oh, I think I can land up there. I think I can land in the saddle. So we carted all the meat to the saddle in hopes that he was going to land. He couldn't land. So we, we ended up doing two trips um, one that day and then we had to come back up the next day to get the rest and that was a workout for this little guy yeah, I remember <laughs> yeah. just all I remember is pulling up Facebook and here's you standing next to your moose, uh, moose antlers I'm like what I don't remember if I texted I think I texted Dan I don't remember what happened but and then the next the next slide picture was your doll sheep and I'm like what when did when did Thomas <laughs> go here I'm like this I'm so jealous like in a good way yeah. Man, that was a giant yeah, moose. No, I do. It, it was fun. It was my dream hunt for sure. And then I actually had a grizzly tag too, but didn't make good on that one. Did you uh, see we any grizzlies? Out. No, not a one. We saw a really a pretty nice black bear on several occasions, but and I could have tagged that, uh, but I didn't really want to. You know, grizzly tags a little bit more expensive than a black bear tag, so I didn't really want to waste it. And we had a couple of days left, but the guy kind of tore his ankle up on the way down the mountain the last down the last way down so we just went back to camp and hung out and got a flight out and stuff so it was fun dream hunt 
couldn't be happier. The meat's amazing. And just the time was amazing. Like anybody out there who's looking for something like that, Jonah's, Jonah's the man. His outfit's awesome. Yeah. Um, did you mount the, what, what are you mounting? Did you mount both of them? Mounting both. So originally I wasn't going to mount the sheep. I was just going to do like a European mount. Cause I think they look awesome. Just the skulls. Yeah. And then you like sell the hide. And, uh, I got kind of got talked into doing a mount. So yeah, I'm doing a shoulder mount of the sheep and then I'm doing a shoulder mount of the moose. My, my house is small. And so I don't know how this is all going to work. They are enormous. And yeah. your bull's enormous. I mean, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I looked him up just to get kind of some dimensions and feel. And from the wall, it's like 56 inches off the wall. <laughs> and the bull ended up taping out a little over 66 inches wide. So it's pretty, pretty incredible. So Let's you have to build, have, do you have to build a new wing onto your house? <laughs> we're hoping to build a house here at some point. So yes, but right now it's going to have to go in my little, my, quote-unquote man cave that's covered with Barbie dolls and horses hey. and all sorts of stuff like that. So we've outgrown our, outgrown our house. My wife says that uh, I can't shoot anything else or at least mount anything else until we move because I just have too many big things down there. Well, so, it is. I mean, you start shooting these elk and moose. Um, oh, yeah. I, didn't, I didn't shoot a big moose. I shot a small moose, so I just have a little European which yep. is going to make me go back to shoot another moose. But I got uh, one elk here. I got another elk yeah, there. I, I left the one elk in Wisconsin. My friend took it. Then I had another European done. And when we moved into this house, I mean, you had asked me, like, you had saw pictures. And you're like, can you give me the dimensions of your wall? My yep. wife is interested. So they fit perfect here. But, I mean, if I'm going to mount another bull, it's got to be – I got to shoot another world-class bull to mount it because they're yep. just – when we move – and we're on this kick now where we're, we're bought a house. We're going to live here for a while. Then we'll rent it out. We might do it again. We might do it again. We're going to build a, another little uh, stream of income with rentals. Um, sure. Just moving these things is a pain in the butt. I had to hire a guy to come because I had this, this board here. I had it custom built. That's um, uh, pallet wood that he weathered and, and scraped. And then he built this, this frame right here is metal. And then we sure. found another one over here that I got my big Nevada bowl on that it was, it's a lighter backdrop, but I found that putting them on the wall with these backdrops really makes the, the, the animal, it just, they look better, but yep. I can't imagine, a, I can't imagine if I would have killed a, a giant moose, which I'm going back to kill a big moose. I mean, yep. we have a good moose so spot. The one, the one thing I did was I had the horns removable or right. I got them, my tax is removing them. So That'll help big time just because otherwise I wouldn't, I literally would not be able to get it into my house if, if I didn't have that. That's so. the best piece of advice you just gave as I would give to anybody that mounts anything big, like an elk, caribou, moose, yeah. get them. Uh, do they charge you more for that? Yeah, usually a little bit, but it's so worth the yes. price. I mean, get it done. You have to enjoy it. If you're going to, that's the way I always look at it too. Like I did the first big buck I ever got. I had mounted by a guy who wasn't so great, but he was very good on my, on my wallet. Yeah. And you can tell, you know, after that, when I moved or some of my other bucks, I got done by a little bit better, higher quality taxidermist, if you will. And you can see it. It's a piece of art that you look at forever. Yeah. So it's like spend the money and do it right. Cause I look at my, my animals on my wall all the time. I mean, I'm not, I don't idolize them, but I love yeah. animals. They're beautiful. I look at my one antelope. I got a moose. I got a couple elk. 
got some yeah. deer up front and then and some, you know, some, I left a lot of animals back in Wisconsin because I couldn't bring them. But they're just beautiful. My son's got a beautiful little coos deer mount. It's so beautiful. Yeah. You look at this. Yep. People don't understand, like, outdoorsmen and women. I always want to say women, too, because that's a huge yeah. growing population. I don't want to leave anybody out. Um, they don't realize, like, what we really love. We're not in it for the thrill of the kill. That's a that's a piece of it, but it's everything leading up to it, the preparation, the planning, the scouting, the food, the dialing and the shooting, the hunting, but going and seeing the beautiful God's beautiful creation in the mountains or the wherever you're at in the flatlands, doesn't matter. And then you get to see the animals and as an outdoorsman and I'm accompanying women in there too, um, you just love all of it. You love, I love looking at them. I'm not like this, ape that wants to stand behind and say look at what i did i come yeah. down and i look at these elk all the time like they're a beautiful animal i really really appreciate god's handiwork in creating these animals yeah it's amazing all of them little to little to big they're all cool yeah you know they're unique you know you look at your like i said before with the smallest rack i have it's like it's still i still look at that one constantly and i'll even look at the image and be like wow i just i can bring it brings back all the memories you you just know exactly what happened on that hunt. I can remember it like it was yesterday. Yeah. You know, I'm going to get Jonas. I want to get him on this podcast sometime. I'm amazed by that guy. Yeah, he is. He's a stud. He's a, a straight-up killer. Like, the guy goes all over. He just had a third baby this year. So, he didn't. I don't think he hunted quite as much as he wanted he's to. He's a straight-up killer. But yeah, Doesn't he, matter I where mean, he goes. Whole, he's killing giant animals. Yep. I watch, his, I watch his Facebook page. I'm like, oh, there he killed a grizzly. Oh, there he killed another doll sheep. Oh, he comes to Arizona. Oh, there he killed a giant coos deer. Oh, there he killed a giant mule deer. I'm like, this guy is a hunter. There's a yeah. big difference. I mean, you're a hunter. That's why I say I want to – you're quiet. And what I mean by that is you're not a loud, boisterous, trying to be yeah. an influencer type guy. You know, you're not showing things off. But you get it done year in and year out with animals. And that's why I wanted you on here because, to me, you're like one of those quiet professionals. You're, you're cerebral. Uh, I've been. Th- I was thinking about that. Like yep. you got to be somewhat cerebral because you you always get it done. You're not just going out willy nilly. Hey, I'm just going to go out hunt today. Like you're putting effort into it, thought into it, yep. and, and you're harvesting animals consistently because of that. Yeah, and part of the problem is that some of the guys who want all the attention and bring it on themselves. I mean, a lot of the stuff I hunt, especially for whitetails around home, is public land. I don't want people knowing. Yeah, that's right and doing everything else i mean it just it, it's a thing whether people want to admit it or not you if you get a reputation that way and people will literally search out where you are going mm-hmm. and they'll find where you're at and yeah and you love it just, i mean I, you're not doing it to boast or brag or you do yeah, it because right. it's in in you it's in your blood yeah yeah i got a just a quick story here i shot a buck um, back in 2016, I think it was opening day, public land around home here. And where I hunt here, there's not giant bucks like lacrosse. I mean, I'm on public land. If I shoot a 130, I'm thrilled. 120 even, to be honest. And I shot a buck opening day. I actually shot a doe and a buck both. And there was a hunter who set up 60 yards from me. I was in in the stand already. The wind was blowing and I didn't, if it's public land, you can't be mad about it. And my wind was totally cutting him off. He wasn't in the perfect spot, whatever. And anywho, he watched me shoot both those deer. And it was, a, it was a funny thing too. Cause that guy, the same way he had a climber, an old rickety climber. And 
you're not supposed at that time you're not supposed to leave any stands in public. And this guy at the end of the night, like when I shot the second buck or when I shot the buck, he got down from that stand so fast and he picked out grass, just ripped grass out and covered his stand up and he marched out. I got down and I tried to catch up with him just to be like, hey man, did you know like that deer was here or something? Because he he looked pretty mad. And uh, he I never could catch him. He was gone and I got that deer out or both those deer out and literally went back in like late season, just walking around kind of scouting. He had a stand, that same stand in the exact tree. Oh, I was in. my goodness. It was like, are you kidding me? But yeah. And then, you know, it's just crazy. It is. It is. Well, man, you've done it right, Tom. You always have your build a great family, you build a great business. You hunt. Well, you're just a, you're a fun one to know and follow. And we've never even hunted together. No, yeah, no, I always like that. It, you know, it, it goes too fast. And I thought this year, because I've been applying for Utah too, but I don't have as many points as you guys do. So it's like, but we should do that at some point. You know, I yeah, got to come down. I want to shoot a coos in the worst way. Well, so. come down. We'll put you on the coos. Yeah. I mean, you know what's so great is you can hunt them during the rut. Yeah, I know. That's the best. And there's nothing going on up here. I mean, you can hunt late season, and don't get me wrong. I love that. But yeah. I'd love to take a trip down that way. And Well, you'd want to do it in January, so you're pretty yeah. much done up there. Um, yep. And you get down here in the weather where it's cold, but 40s is cold, and then it's 70s during the day, and your <laughs> wife would kill you. Your wife's like, what? You're going where? You might want to bring her, you know, and then you sneak out and hunt a little bit. Dan's been bugging me forever to come down and hunt. Of course, he wants mule deer. Yeah. Um, I, so. The mule deer's cool, like, but I, I've never killed a coos, and I, it's just something about them. I want to get one of those. Pieces. Yeah. They're so much fun to watch. You know, I, again, I've never been – I'm looking at a um, a screen if I turn it here. I'm, I'm actually just sent in to order a new rifle, um, oh, a, new, nice. a new custom rifle. Cool. Um, so I've never been into gun hunting. I mean, I've been into gun hunting when I was little, but, yeah. you know, how bow hunting became – was never as big as gun hunting became early. So it was easier for me to get permission on properties to bow hunt as the competition and the commercialization of hunting uh, increased. So I just kind of stayed away from, I saw the ugliness of gun hunting in Wisconsin. You know, everybody was mad and everybody wanted to shoot the biggest and nobody could, you know, everybody was doing anything wrong. So I just kept bow hunting. Well, when I moved out here, you know, I have a lot of guns and I love guns. I'm a big Second Amendment guy, pistols, rifles, ARs, the whole bit. Um, My son drew a coos deer tag. And so I I met a a guy named Nick. He's become one of my best friends. Nick DeBaki is a guide. His father-in-law, Dwayne, is a legend here. Legend yeah. coos deer hunter and legend mule deer and elk hunter. And I went with them and my son Gunner is shooting long distance at deer. And I mean, 500 plus yards. And yeah. I'm like, oh, and I, it's funny story is I, I think I'm selling the 243. Guy just reached out and asked if I had a 243 for youth model. Cause Nick said, what do you got for your son to hunt? And I'm like, oh, I just bought him a Remington youth model, 243 got it dialed in. He goes, how far can he shoot? And I'm like, he was hitting the target at 200 years, 10 years old. He's always been a good shot. I'm like at 200 yards, he's drilling yeah. target. He's like, yeah, see if you can't push him out to 400. And I'm like, no, no, don't worry about it, Nick. I'll, I'll, I'll sneak him in. You know, I'm thinking, we see it at 400, I'll just move him in. Yeah. He goes, yeah, so that was like a couple weeks before the hunt. My son was shooting good. He was hitting a pie plate at 200 yards. I'm like, he's going to hit it. That's great. He's 10 years old. Just before yeah. the hunt, Nick called me and goes, you coming down to spend the night? And I'm like, yeah, we'll be down. He goes, hey, listen, why don't you go ahead and just leave your gun there? <laughs> And I'm like, what? He goes, nah, well, you just use one of ours. So I think he was using a 300 Winchester short mag custom gun that they have. Turrets dialed to yep. yardage di- yardage turrets. Yeah. And so we hunted. Gunner, Gunner missed a 110-inch buck. 
I mean, but it was a long, long shot. But I'm like, buddy, you did so good. So we're sitting at the table, and Dwayne said to me, he goes, you see why you need these custom guns? Why you got to shoot long range? I'm like, yeah. He goes, jump in the truck with me. So Gunner stays there. I jump in the truck, go over to this gun builder's house, and I had a 28 Nosler built. I've nice. never shot anything with it. Um, Gunner shot an antelope a couple of years ago, 550 yards of doe, but he shot a really nice buck too in Wyoming. Um, and so I, then I'd bought some old tactical 308, not old, it was a phenomenal gun, and I'd never shot it, so I just sold it. So you know, I'm, I'm in the I'm in the mood of being frugal. So I'm, yeah. I'm, I sold that, and I'm just putting it into a, a, a new hunting rifle, 6.5 PRC. Cool. Very so nice. yeah, it should be pretty cool. My my brother and my my oldest friend both drew uh, late season coos deer tags, rifle tags. So where I was going with the story was now I just want to get a coos deer tag with a with a for a rifle tag, yeah. like sitting behind these big binoculars and picking these. You're, you're, you're kind of cut from the same cloth I am. I love hunting with a bow. I love spot and stalk. I, I even love tree stand hunting during the rut. But yeah. you do this, and it's like addicting, trying to find them with the binoculars. Oh, there they are. And then you got to get the hunter on the to find it at 600 yards in the scope. Yeah. And, oh, man, it's so much fun. It is. It's a ball. I, that's half of the fun is just glassing them up. I mean, we always do – like a lot of times I hunt with another guy and we are a little competition, you know, who can see the first deer, who can see it the fastest. Um, yeah, it's a ball. And I love just watching them. Even if wow. you don't go after them or if you're the guy who's helping your buddy get into position or you're trying to flag them in, um, it's fun just watching to see, just watching them be deer. Yep. Yep. What they do and how they act and it's comical. Yeah. Well, you got to make a, you got a plan. Maybe you and Dan can get together and plan and come down on a yeah. January and, uh, Chase these coos deer around. You know, if you get a January tag, you can get a javelina tag, and you can shoot them stinky yep. little rodents, yeah. and then uh, we'll eat those. If you shoot it, you got to eat it. That's how. That's yeah. how we are. How are they? Have you had one? Yeah, they're they're meat. Not so it, great. It's meat. You got to marinate yeah. them pretty good. Some people really like it. They do chorizo with it. They do some. One of my friends did some sausage sticks, and he said they're incredible. So when I shoot the next one, I'll, I'll, I'll do that. But. They're meant for bow hunting. I mean, if yeah. you ever talk about an animal, when you find them, you're going to kill them. So yeah. finding them is a difficult part. When you find them, then they're in their herds, and you can sneak right in on them and be a good uh, traditional uh, Oh, yeah. Type That's challenge. I did a little bit of that. That's a whole other thing, getting into the traditional stuff. That is, uh, I forget, I think it was Aaron Snyder or something said, struggle stick, and that that is, couldn't be more true. Yeah. Unless you have enough time to devote to the craft, um, don't try it. It's tough. <laughs> I got one. My brother left me one, that a real nice one, and I'll play with it every once in a while, fling some arrows, and I'm like, oh, boy, I get past 12 yards, and I am terrible. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I shot one. One of my – the guy who I mule deer hunt with a lot, Jason Winter, he sent me one because I was getting frustrated with this little garbage one that I had. So he sent me one of his. It was a longbow, and I did shoot a deer with it. I shot a little spike buck. And people will kind of give you garbage about that too. Like you shot a deer with a, with a traditional. Yeah. Oh, yeah. dang man. Congrats. Thanksgiving. Yeah. Thank you. It was Thanksgiving. It was gun season and we got done with Thanksgiving dinner or whatever. And I begged my wife and pleaded. I was like, can I go out? Can I go out? I was blowing and I had my mind made up. Anything comes in, I'm whacking it with this thing, you know, and sure enough came in 15 yards and got lucky and smashed the thing. It was I've never been as nervous. Like with a compound, I'm pretty cool. Like not going to say I'm not nervous because that's 
not true. No one's like that. I mean, I, my nervousness or buck fever, if you will, is more or less like I go too fast. But with that stick bow, I can remember at one point I had to hold my finger on the arrow because it was bouncing off the right. <laughs> That's how nerve. Like I was just so shook up. It was awesome. It's like being a little kid again. Yeah, I, I, I'm thinking about doing it. I, maybe when I go for a javelina, because now I've been piling the javelina up, and I got some good javelina spots where I know I can find them. So it'd be fun to try to really move in and. And just, I mean, if I could, if I could get proficient out to 20 yards with it, I should be able to move in on a javelina and get a shot. I think it would just be a neat feat. I I really do. Yeah. Well, dang, Tom, man, it's been good. We've went an an hour and 45 minutes. I don't even know where we went. Right. Hour and 50 minutes. You start talking hunting and I'm all in. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you jumping on. You're the, you're, you're the epitome of a fit archer. You're lean, mean, killing machine, 155 pounds strapping out a bull elk or bull moose. Yeah. Uh, well, tough as nails. Yeah, little man's disease, you know. You, I always got to be competing, or I can't be the guy who's only taking a little bit. So. That's right. Those moose, I remember throwing that moose quarter on my. We had to walk through a bog. We only had to go about 200 yards. And yep. we couldn't get the horses into the bog, obviously. And I remember saying, well, I'm just going to throw that up like a squat rack, like a squat rack. And I got yep. it up. And I remember going, I'm like, I am not stopping. I'm making it to that trail and, you know, stepping down through the bogs. Legs were burning. Everything was burning. I'm like, I can't imagine packing this a long ways. I said the same thing to the guys. I said, you know, I'm not trying to be rude, but once I get going, I'm not going to stop. You know, like I'll just meet you. I'll meet you back at the, at the camp and Luckily, I was ahead. They were kind of waiting up for one of the other guys. So um, they were I, waiting for you to take more, is what they were doing. <laughs> let them go, man. Flatlander, let them take it. I was gone. It's like, sorry. Once I get that weight on, I want it off. I don't like to stop and and prolong the hurt or the pain. It's like just suck I'm, it up and go. Yeah, I'm just going to camp. We'll it's, you know what? It makes for great stories. I mean. What do you train for? Like every night now, my, my training regimen right now is every night I walk barefoot in my boots to try to toughen my skin up. And I do my weighted backpack. So I do my workouts in the morning. I do my CrossFit workouts in the morning. And then at night, I walk a mile and a half with my dogs. Monday, Tuesday, nice. Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. And then on Saturdays, I do like a five miler um, up through the mountains where I live. So yep. I'm just, I've worked backwards from the day that I'm going to start hunting. And I'm not really packing heavy for our utah hunt but the september wyoming i drew a a wyoming elk hunt um in september so i'm really trying to peak for that one so i kind of work backwards i pick the date and then i kind of work backwards of the weights that i want to get to and i'm just i'll go 40 you know 45 50 55 60 60 i want to i want to pack at least one full solid week at 80 pounds plus i did it all 70 i've done all 60 55 you know I've just, I've just noticing it just strengthens so many little stability muscles you don't get to do. And for me, you know, honestly, CrossFit's been the best fitness style that I've done all around that's given me the best conditioning. People have different opinions of what they like and they don't like about CrossFit. But for me personally, it's been the best all around conditioning that yeah. I've gotten. But nothing will ever replace a heavy backpack on your back and hiking because you got to get your hips juiced, your shoulders juiced, your traps juiced. You got to get them all accustomed to carrying heavy weight or you're going to hurt. For me, just being in the flatlands, like we're literally flat farm fields. There's no elevation. So what I do is like I run quite often, um, but I'll do a lot of sprints too. I'll do sprinting exercises. And then like between my sprintings, I'll do push-ups or sit-ups or burpees or whatever. Um, and that the sprinting stuff is, helps me quite a bit actually. 
And then I don't get to do a backpack hike as much as I'd like, but our grass grows so darn often. I literally cut, I mow our lawn with my backpack on. There you go. So all the neighbors are like, what are you doing? I get so many funny looks when I'm in the front yard mowing, but it's like, it's an hour of dedicated time that I have to do anyways. So I just, you know, throw the backpack on and it's like, and I'm getting workout as well. You just so took away excuses from a lot of people and I love it. I'm a yeah. not an excuse guy, but you know, somebody says, well, I don't really get the time. Well, you got to mow your lawn, put a pack on, yeah. mow your lawn. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's only my lawn's like four tenths of an acre. So it's not that big, but still you're moving. You're always cutting around yep. you're doing stuff. And I'll even like you, I'll put my boots on that. I'm, that I'm going to hike in and go to town. Yeah. Yeah. I love it, man. I love fitness. I just think it makes, you know, every time I go hunting, I'm always like, I needed to work harder. I needed to push myself hard because they're so, the mountains are so unforgiving and your, your brain is so, well, our, our minds are so fickle, so weak that they want to quit the minute you have some pain. And so you put yourself through the meat grinder voluntarily and then it gives you a better opportunity to do something because let's be honest. I mean, it's not cheap to go hunting. It's not cheap to leave state. It's not easy when you got kids and a wife and like my wife will be running three kids around. My son yep. won't have his driver's license yet. So it's, it's more pressure there. Uh, oh, you know, then you just got all the pressure of wanting to go and, and, and get something, be successful, bring some meat home, some, a trophy of whatever size yeah. you, you're, yep. you know, and, and the things that you can do to make it easier and remove all the excuses somehow you got to do if you're serious about it. Yeah, no question. No question. And, and that's the thing too, that, just to uh, kind of say as well, or something that always bugs me, and I'm just going to throw out that popped into my head while you're talking, is people around Wisconsin and the Midwest that I talk to are always like, oh, my dream hunts to go shoot a bull in, in Colorado. You know, it's like, go, yeah, go. <laughs> I don't understand why people, they have such a, a wall built in their head. You know, it's not cheap, but it's not expensive either. You know, they you can spend more money on a tag to hunt a deer in Iowa than you will on a bull elk in Colorado. And quite honestly, to go for me to go to Colorado and hunt an elk is cheaper than it is for me to go to Iowa and hunt a deer. Because usually if I'm going to Iowa, it's a four hour drive, four and a half hour drive, and I'm going multiple weekends. You know? Luckily I have I met a, a guy so I stay in somebody's house, but that's not the like if you have to get lodging and do that week after week and then you're away a lot longer. Yeah. My wife prefers the one week, you know, she'd rather have me be gone for 10 days, 14 days than she would every weekend for eight weeks. Right. You know, or whatever. So, yeah, you know, no, nobody's getting any younger. So if you got, yeah. you want to figure out how to go hunting and talk to people that are getting it done, I'm going to do a podcast with some guys about, um, consulting businesses on getting tags in different states. I get that every single year. Every time I post a, a if I post a picture of an animal, I'll get my Midwest friends and be like, I, I want to come elk hunt with you next year. I'm like, it's not that easy. Like right. that, that one was eight years of applying. You got to start applying. And you know, if you want to buy over the counter, you can do it in Idaho. You can do it in Colorado. You just got to go. Like you said, because you got to experience it. You're going to get better at it. You got to learn it. We just had to start going when we were young and realize yeah. I didn't have the right equipment. I wasn't in the best shape. I didn't know how to elk hunt. You know, I can't hunt them like they're whitetail. But the memories that we still have from all of it are, are priceless. Right, no doubt. And as long as you're not the guy who 
who has to keep up with the Joneses as far as new camouflage and equipment and everything else. I mean, you can go, especially if you're just doing like a base camp type thing, you can go for relatively inexpensive. And just what you said, you know, you want to apply for that premier tag, by all means, I do it, you do it, everybody does it, who's serious anyways, but you still have to go. You can't just sit back and say, well, I'm going to hunt whitetails for eight, the next eight years, and then I'm going to draw a bull tag. And you've literally never stepped foot in any sort of out West country. You don't know what it's about. You know, how good's that hunt going to be? Not good. You gotta hunt. Yeah. yeah. And then sooner or later you find yourself living out here like I am because yeah. I wanted to get closer to it. <laughs> That's my problem. Too. Once I started going out West routinely every year, which was, you know, like I've been out West every year since I started. And once you do that, whitetails just aren't the same. Now I love them. I cut my teeth on them. Uh, they're great. Don't get me wrong. But if I had to choose, honestly, I would go out west. Yeah. So. Well, you need to start a franchise, Phoenix. Can you get Phoenix Auto going out here? And you can come run the franchise salva- sal- uh, salvage yard out here in Phoenix. And you're yeah, in part of it. out in Arizona. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, Tom, man, I'm going to let you run. I know you're at the office hiding. Your wife's like, where is he at 730 your time? That's crazy. Oh, yeah. We went for two hours. Yeah, I have softball tonight at 8, too. So. <laughs> oh, man. Well, hey, buddy, I really appreciate you. Uh, honored that you jumped on here, and I'll always Thank enjoy you. talking with you. Great time. Appreciate it, JP. All right, Thank buddy. You. God bless you, and uh, we'll be in touch more. We'll, we'll find out what you kill this year, and, and we'll, do a, we'll do a follow-up podcast to Tom's Fall. All right. Sounds good, man. All right, buddy. Adios. Take care. Goodbye. Yeah.